Welcome back on this Saturday, the 26th day of August, 2023. I'm your host, Mark Hall, and let's start off our look back this evening with a bit of economic news that was widely awaited with bated breath. That turned out largely to be economic not news, because the speculation up front was that BRICS would accelerate the demise of the almighty fiat dollar during their meeting this week in South Africa. But as analyst John Rubino put it over the weekend in an excellent interview with Greg Hunter at USAWatchdog.com, whatever happens, it'll be bad for the fiat buck. And don't forget, the Biden Fuhrer is still wreaking destruction, too. And what his puppet masters have planned and are currently unleashing is probably even deadlier for the almighty dollar, even in the short run. And let's start there, folks, with a story that came out last Friday from Alex Jones and Infowars.com. Went viral over the weekend, and rightfully so. And while there were updates before Monday morning, the basic story says whistleblowers from the transportation sexual abusers, but maybe they deserve a new appellation now because you got to believe that anybody that would go along with this stuff are simply totally stupid, um, well, what begins with A and ends with holes? Anyway, and Border Patrol, among others, various three-letter agencies, have now agreed. Whistleblowers have come forward and raised the alarm to InfoWars, says the piece, that the Biden Fuhrer regime is setting the stage for The mind boggles, folks, but as Robert A. Heinlein once said, never underestimate the power of human stupidity. Will people really go along with this again? Oh, yeah, don't you doubt it for a second. They're setting the stage for full COVID lockdowns. Call it 2020 all over again. That will begin, as they always do, with incremental restrictions like idiotic masking of those terminally stupid agents and other government employees, those that don't have the good sense to say no, starting in Mid-September, Ethan House late weekend summary for Natural News says that various whistleblowers for the TLAs are saying yet another round of lockdowns, mask mandates, and other unbelievably stupid tyranny are coming down the pike come mid-September, compliments of the fake unelected Biden Fuhrer. And according to reports, the COVID 2.0, bigger, better, and coming to a theater near you scenario will be incremental, as you can expect. you got to figure they want to monitor how well people are drinking the Kool-Aid and adjust their propaganda accordingly. Remember, the beauty of masks is it's really easy to see just who's fallen for it. And that the corporate-controlled media is now signaling the alleged emergence of yet another, say it with me, folks, booga, booga, booga. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Highly mutated variant. Thank you, Tony Fauci. Well, he's got his minions still in place. Of the Wuhan slash Fauci flu that they're calling... BA 2.86, or maybe that stands for badass number two, and deep six the economy. Even the normally skeptical and not quite so gullible New York Post is fear-mongering about this one, asking in a headline, should we be wearing masks? Well, only folks if you're terminally stupid, and maybe that means your brain doesn't really deserve to have oxygen anyway. The answer, of course, says natural news, is... No, not only do face masks do absolutely nothing except make a person look stupid and, in fact, rebreathe your own exhaust gases. Once the CO2 in their bloodstream builds up, they become stupid. But, of course, they also cause other serious harm by restricting proper oxygen intake while overloading the person's body with carbon dioxide, thus not only bringing on hypoxia but hypercapnia as well. 
And you think anybody with a medical degree ought to know that. Heck, maybe they ought to even know what's smaller than the gaps between the fibers of a cloth mask. Answer, almost anything that might be booga, 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 really scary, and have letters and numbers like BA.2.86. The whistleblowers have also said what you could have already guessed. These policies, and there'll be mandates by then, will expand by the middle of October to include forced masking, Achtung, you will ferret or else, and that will include all pilots, flight attendants, passengers, and airport patrons. In other words, folks, anybody that's stupid enough to get on a commercial flight where the people have already been injected and shouldn't be flying a plane anyway, especially if they're suffering from hypercapnia and hypoxia. Oh, yeah, and let's not forget myocarditis, pericarditis, elevated risk for strokes, and all kinds of other things that come as a direct result of having been injected, whether they liked it or not. Which brings me, of course, to the real issue here. And while I've talked about it for a long time, so has Alex Jones, so has Mike Adams, and so, in fact, has just about every honest doctor, those associated with the FLCCC and others, Not to mention people like Ed Dowd, who've looked at the statistics and noted, wow, we have an incredible, in some cases, 20 sigma, and in other cases, 61 sigma increase in various fatal and debilitating side effects associated with the Zyklon B not vaccine injections. And that is the real problem. Ask yourself a question. If you're a communist, fascist, fill-in-the-ist totalitarian who's been guilty of committing crimes against humanity and want to make darn sure that when the death rates that we've already seen blowing through the statistical limits become completely unhideable, even with a captive press, then what are you going to do? Answer. As a lot of us engineers used to remark very sarcastically when it came to things somewhat like this, although not nearly as deadly in our case, if you can't fix it, feature it. In other words, hey, people are going to die. Let's do this. Let's just say booga, booga, booga. It's not because we poisoned them with the Zyklon B injection. No, it's because they didn't take enough of the Zyklon B and now they're dying. It works for heroin addicts, doesn't it? Last time, of course, we had to rig the statistics. We had the cycle threshold of those bogus tests that we could run way up to produce any number of arbitrary false positives, and that gave us the case numbers we needed to really scare people, and then they'd believe almost anything. And that helped make it look like all kinds of people were dying from the booga-booga flu, whether it really was or not. And you know what I'm talking about, folks, whether it's death by self-inflicted alcohol poisoning or a car wreck. And now they're dying from the Zyklon B. But if they kill somebody in a car wreck, hey, that's easy to cover up. How about if they just drop dead, though, like when they're flying an airplane? Oh, and by the way, folks, here's a story from just over the weekend. What an amazing coincidence. Shortly after taking off from Miami, the pilot of a commercial Latin American Airlines headed south towards Chile, excused himself from the cockpit, went into the forward lavatory, and croaked right there in flight. What seems to have really sealed the deal, though, was they had to ask, hey, is there a doctor on board? We need somebody right now. And that kind of uh, spilled the beans. They had to make an emergency landing in Panama, and ooh, that was harder to cover up now, wasn't it? And guess what, folks? All that we're hearing is that the symptoms looked like they were directly related to cardiac arrest, which suggests to those that don't work for the airlines or the media that the 56-year-old pilot succumbed to having been forced to take the Zyklon B in order to continue working. But you're not going to hear that, much less be allowed to post it on 2Facebook or uh, tweet it on X. 
But if you're paying attention, you can probably connect the dots and make a reasoned assessment as to how the coming wave of deaths due to exactly this kind of thing are instead going to be featured and sold to a gullible, dumbed-down, masked public one more time as a reason that you now have to wear your mask and, oh, yes, take your new improved booster. Are people really, truly this terminally stupid? Well, if history is any guide, folks, the answer is yes. But one thing is almost a lead pipe cinch at this point. We're going to find out. By Tuesday, a lot of the news could be summarized in three basic categories, but they all overlapped. False flags, fake presidents, and international humiliation. We'll start with a couple of looks at the very same story. The first pair of them from the Daily Mail. It seems like their headlines just didn't quite encompass it the first time or two. One of them says, there was an awkward moment when a gormless-looking Biden, whatever that means, I think we can guess, shuffles away from the lectern as a Hawaii Democrat tries to speak to him minutes after giving what they rightfully call, but perhaps understated, a tone-deaf speech to the victims of Maui's killer wildfires, or arguably something hell of a lot worse. It was a cringeworthy moment, they said. When Democrat Senator Brian Schatz, at the conclusion of the press conference, tried to offer the faux president a sip of water, whereupon he completely blanked the senator and turned his back on him, then began shuffling off, mouth hanging open, while gazing listlessly into the crowd as his handlers tried to usher him away from the lectern and out of sight. And this, they note, came just moments after he delivered a meandering, tone-deaf speech in which he compared the wildfires, which have killed ah, the better part of a thousand people that we know of, to his experience with a small kitchen fire. Isn't that touching in a Ted Bundy kind of way? I'm surprised he didn't offer somebody in the crowd an ice cream cone. The other headline from the Daily Mail notes that it got even worse. Biden sparks outrage, this one says, by comparing the Hawaiian blaze that killed at least 114 people to a kitchen fire at his house after making a tone-deaf hot ground joke to a rescuer. This after his motorcade, they note, was met with screams of F.U. after he finally arrived in Maui two weeks later than the Inferno, which left the better part of a thousand or more people missing and destroyed the historic city of Lahaina. All right, well, as usual, Zero Hedges coverage is a bit more to the point and arguably blunt. Hawaiians are livid. This one begins at fake President Joe Biden, who showed up in Maui two weeks late only to crack inappropriate jokes and lie about his wife almost dying in a kitchen fire. Quote, you catch the boots out there? That's a hot ground, man, joked the empty suit to a rescuer. At another point, he told the mayor of Maui County, you look like you played defensive tackle for, I don't know who, but somebody good, he said, before calling the wildfires a, quote, national travesty. And you know what? I can't help but think if he was actually trying to say travesty, that's probably the closest he's gotten to the truth in a long time. And as Tyler Durden and Zero Hedge notes, the other problem, of course, is that Biden lied about almost losing his wife in that kitchen fire back in 2004. In fact, says they look at the records, the fire was under control in less than 20 minutes, and firefighters got it out pretty early. Given that the more we learn about this one, the more it looks that at least the incompetence goes beyond that towards intentionality. And some would say not particularly apropos, but hey, what do we expect, right? Said one enraged local after watching the uh, abomination, quote, hearing you talk about your house that, you know, had a little fire. You almost lost your cat and your Corvette, he said, adding there were children that were incinerated to ash. 
But as the other quotes here from those who watched this thing point out, that was only the beginning. You're so out of touch with the common man, you don't even know how to speak to him, he said. And, uh, hey, folks, I don't think he knows how to speak to anybody at this point. And he added, the only way you think you can establish commonality with him is to lie, like the same thing happened to you. Well, he said, you're a disgusting, despicable bastard. And that's not all. While Biden flew in circles above Maui, residents on the ground were trapped on closed roads for hours. Oh, that's all right, say the leftists. They got nowhere to go anyway. Meanwhile, the distraction is, of course, on, and the BRICS summit had opened in South Africa. And by almost midweek, about the only news was from a speech Putin gave remotely about de-dollarization. And we'll get there if we have time later on. But the skids for Plandemic 2.0 and masks and lockdowns revisited were still being greased by the Ministry of Truth. Says Natalie Winters for the war room. The Biden Fuhrer regime has already begun buying all kinds of COVID-1984 reprise equipment and hiring pandemic safety protocol enforcers, Octung, amid speculation increasingly confirmed since the MSM is now rolling out their latest propaganda blitz that the Biden regime will reinstate thoroughly debunked pandemic area lockdowns and mandates. How better to rig the next election? Second verse, same as the first. Recently unearthed government contracts from entities including, but not limited to, the DOD show millions of taxpayer funds being used to, this time, purchase COVID-19 test equipment. And some of the contracts, traceable via the FedGov's spending database, are even scheduled to begin, hey, guess what, real soon now, like September and October. I won't bore you with the details, but there's lots of money to be made and lots of people to be shown who's boss. Again. I do think the war room summary here is apropos. These unearthed contracts, says the author, follow the mainstream media hype of an alleged surge in COVID-19, 84 cases all across America, which also dovetails with COVID-19 vaccine makers sick, like Pfizer, experiencing a rapid decline in profits. Here's one that may or may not be related. Let's call it an exercise for the listener. According to CBS Channel 4 in Colorado, out of Denver, a United Airlines pilot, which is also headquartered in Denver, was caught on video surveillance taking an axe to a parking arm in the employee parking area at the airport. He didn't just slack the arm a couple of times. He got an axe out of the trunk of his car, swung it over and over again, some say 23 times, until the arm finally gave up the battle and fell off. The pilot said he was tired of waiting for it to work correctly, so he grabbed an axe, which he just, I guess, happens to keep in his vehicle, and went up to the front of the line to eliminate the problem. A lot of people have commented on it, but uh, there's at least one set of comments I think were more interesting that didn't turn up until later. By the way, they weren't covered by the major media in the Denver area. They did say the pilot was arrested, then released, and charged with criminal mischief after $700 in damages to the offending arm. All right, here we go. The first part of the story has been multiply sourced and verified, no doubt on that score. There is some question about the name of the pilot. I wonder if it's been redacted or changed or whatever. But from realrawnews.com, there's this. Again, take it with a grain of salt, but uh, at least it may represent something new. And if true, we're going to see more of it, so brace yourselves. This piece says the pilot was a five times vaccinated vet at DIA. Given the mandates for public-private partners, the number is at least three or four out of those five. 
who entered a state of berserker rage on August 2 as he attacked that swinging parking gate with an axe, cursing the, quote, confounded contraption for not raising when he swiped his parking pass. He methodically exited his car, opened his trunk, picked up the axe, and chopped at the gate like he was taken out a tree. The lumberjack aviator, perhaps, they say, and this is the interesting part, suffering from vaccine psychosis, was finally subdued, that's on the videotape, and airport officials described the wild incident as a physical struggle with no injuries. But Real Raw News claims they have an FAA source who's been reliable in the past and claims that vaccinated pilots suddenly dying in the cockpit are only the beginning of the story. This particular fellow had earned notoriety within the FAA for his COVID theatrics because originally he was an exemplary pilot and model citizen before he took his first poke mandated by the Big Brother public-private partner in mid-2021, after which he became a de facto vaccine spokesperson, espousing the benefits of the poison poke to anyone who'd listen. And it goes on and on, saying in air he frequently used the intercom to tell passengers to, quote, enjoy your flight and remember to get vaccinated and boosted. It saves lives. And he frequently told other pilots to, quote, stay updated on your vaccines. And that, folks, is at minimum tacky on air traffic control frequencies. And so forth. After which, the source says that this bizarre post-vaccine axe-wielding incident may correlate with equally oddball stories told to Real Raw News by staff at Womack Army Medical Center in Fort Bragg earlier in the year. Two of them, both uncorroborated, and they didn't report them at the time, but maybe it is, in fact, given that they're planning on doing this reprise here, time to trot out some other information. Neurologists at Womack think that the vaccines may cause a rare side effect they refer to as vaccine psychosis, wherein the clot shot damages the brain's frontal lobe. And then they cite earlier incidents where a recently boosted soldier picked up an unloaded rifle, pointed it at fellow squad mates, and then squeezed the trigger while laughing maniacally. While a triple-vax lieutenant at Fort, I suspect that's supposed to be Fort Carson, smashed his office to bits with a baseball bat and then began swinging at cars in the parking lot. Honestly, folks, I have to ask just how many side effects do we have to see? After all, if it wasn't doing what it's intended to, which seems to be killing a lot of people, why hasn't it already been taken off the market? And why are they going to do the same stupid thing all over again, as if people hadn't realized by now how badly they were duped the first time around? <laughs> and as lots of folks are beginning to wonder, why is this guy carrying around a full-size axe in his trunk anyway? Okay, and I was wondering what to do with this story, but it does fit here. And uh, think about the implications, folks. That's the real point. Outrage, says the headline from the Daily Mail in the U.K., in Oakland, that would be California, as a wild video has emerged showing a woman being violently dragged on the ground during an armed robbery. The shocking violent incident unfolded on August 16th at 6.15 p.m. and left the unnamed woman with severe injuries. Cops are investigating, yeah, sure, said the East Bay City, and it serves is just yet another small example of what's occurring across the leftist-run cesspool city. Guess which words your host added in there? Which, like its sister across the river, has for quite a few years now, since it went full woke, been plagued with unbelievably high crime. All kinds of things. Assaults, carjackings, and robberies, among others. Now, this is interesting, too. The first paragraph says, The shocking video shows a woman being pistol-whipped and then dragged across the gravel by two thugs in Democrat-led Oakland while the city grapples with a surging, and uh, some would say 101% predictable, crime wave. 
It's become so severe, the piece notes later on, that the city's so-called police force is warning residents now to secure their homes, especially while they're inside. And here's where your host has to comment, although I don't think most of you are going to be surprised. This probably won't improve until disarmed residents start realizing they'd better blow some of these bastards away before they get pistol whipped, shot, or raped. But the real trouble is, and you knew this too, that's what Soros DAs are for. It's not just about encouraging the criminals and then releasing them if and when they ever get caught. It's about sending a message to the remaining honest citizenry. It's about making sure that the oath-breaking police then go out and arrest the ones they call the real criminals, those people who dare to believe they have a right to defend their lives, family, or property from the thugs that Big Brother is unleashing against them. Oh, and as you probably know by now, before the week was out, we saw exactly what that looks like, too, in a lot more detail. Item, this time from Natural News via Richard Brown, there's a trial going on where nine pro-life activists are claiming, hmm, it just might be prejudice involved because the defense is not allowed to say certain words. Allegations, it begins, of bias have surfaced in the ongoing trial of nine pro-life activists charged with conspiracy and violation of an abomination, unconstitutional as it might be, but who cares, at least not in the swamp, right? It's called the Freedom of Access to Clinical Entrances, or FACE Act, a federal statute requiring access to the sacrament of abortion in Washington, D.C. The trial, it says, has raised questions about the balance. <laughs> balance? Yeah, sure. Between the roles of the defense, the hand-picked idiot jury, and if they weren't idiots, folks, they wouldn't have been allowed on the jury, and the judge, sparking debates, and who can doubt this, about the fairness, how about the justice of the trial. Traditionally, it says, the defense is supposed to present arguments to protect their client, well, the story says, anyway, the jury assesses the validity of each side's claims. No, the jury, folks, if we actually had trial by jury, also has the obligation. As John Adams and First Supreme Court Justice John Jay both famously said, the juror has not only the right but the obligation to judge the facts and the law. And the judge is just supposed to ensure that the trial has procedural integrity and that this concept that now no longer exists, like due process, plays out. This time, though, the roles have certainly been altered. For starters, the jury selection process, you've heard the term voir dire, which is French for jury tampering, reportedly resulted in a predominantly far-left pro-abortion jury. And the defendants, whose defense is based on the claim that they were trying to save unborn lives from abortion, argues that bias could preordain the verdict. Gee, do you think? And listen to this. During the trial's opening statements, the prosecution and defense both clashed repeatedly, with the prosecution objecting to defense's arguments and the judge consistently supporting those objections. And the pattern of interaction led those that were watching to speculate that the real direction of the trial here is influenced by outside forces to lean in a certain direction. Gee, do you think? Anybody that's been watching, folks, can't deny this is precisely what's been happening. It's just that they're no longer even trying to hide it. Get this, though. The judge's efforts, it says, to exclude any arguments related to the question of the morality or legality of abortion have further intensified the controversy because, according to reports, the defense is not allowed to say certain words, including, but I guess not limited to, infanticide, abortion, or even innocent lives. And as just one example, on August 14th, U.S. District Judge Colleen Collar-Cotelli banned defendants from claiming they were acting in the defense of another person, which would have been a defense back when we had the rule of law, when they used ropes and change to block the entrance to a D.C. Ahem, reproductive service clinic three years ago. 
And I guess, folks, speaking as a cynic here, I'd have to say the only good news is that unlike the January 6th defendants, who were arguably exercising what was once called a First Amendment right to not only freedom of assembly, freedom of speech, I think, is pretty well dead and buried, but to petition the government for a redress of grievances, well, that these defendants haven't been locked up in a four-by-six cell sleeping on the floor for uh, almost three years. And yeah, just wait, of course, till you see what they're going to do to Trump, and then after that, anybody else they feel like. All of which does incline me to leap ahead to the big finish for the week. You already know where I'm going, of course. Donald Trump says the piece from the Daily Mail out of the UK. They seem at least to be a bit more objective than the uh, oh-so-forth Reichish New York Times, WAPO, and MSNBC has made history by being the first elected president to pose for a mugshot following his bogus arrest for, get this, they say, trying to overturn the rigged 2020 election results in Georgia, among other places. Why, where does he think he lives? In a free state still? Doesn't he know it's a banana republic? Hasn't he been watching? He was arrested, they say, for the fourth time this year. And that means folks are going to keep on doing it until they throw enough you-know-what at him and manage to get something to stick and fingerprinted by the petty tyrants at the Fulton County Jail in Atlanta on Thursday. And if you haven't seen the mugshot, and I'm sure you will, it's probably going to be almost impossible to avoid, take a close look at probably the meanest-looking picture of Trump you'll ever see. I have no doubt he practiced for this one. Can't say that I blame him. And afterwards, he tweeted it, saying, Election interference. Never surrender, DonaldJTrump.com. And I think, if nothing else, folks, a lot of people are going to see this and recognize, wow, we really are that far gone. Separately, he pointed out, hey, isn't it funny, it's not a crime when leftists for years now have questioned the outcome of any election that they didn't win, but how dare anyone else think they can do the same thing. Once again, George Orwell was right, and we'll pick it up there right after we get back. Welcome back now to the second segment for this evening. I am your host, Mark Hall, and normally I'd start this one off with a story that might be ignored by the Waystream. And we've already set it up, but this time it's a story the Waystream certainly isn't going to ignore. They're just going to approach it a bit differently than I will. So let's start off with the Rhino wannabe also ran debate, uh, for what it's worth, and the Trump with Tucker counterpoint to it that, let's be honest, pretty well smashed it to smithereens in the ratings. Because in this case, there's not a heck of a lot of point in my summarizing it, other than just briefly here in a second. Because ultimately, if you're interested, you've either already watched it or probably will. And as I began a recording on Thursday morning, it looked like 150 million people by then already had. And by the time I pulled up the Daily Mail coverage, it was closing on 200 million and still counting. So I'll start today with the thing I think we have to start with, because, again, I believe most folks will listen to it. If not, you'll certainly hear some of the highlights, and I'm going to talk about just one or two of them. But I do think it sets the stage for some of the other things that are important, and um, I'll also talk about that. So here we go. First, the Zero Hedge summary, and they always do a pretty good job, which begins with the teaser clip that Tucker himself came out with a few hours before they aired the debate. So when Trump approached us, he said, about having a conversation for a far larger audience than he'd 
receive on cable news, we happily accepted. So that answers a bunch of questions that if you watch it, you'll see answered again. But it's questions like these next few that I think people tuned in for. First, Zero Hedge notes, Tucker goes there. The question was, it started with protest against you, then impeachment twice, and now indictments. Are you worried, Tucker asked Trump, that they are going to try to kill you? Why wouldn't they try to kill you? And the calm response, and this almost looks like a setup, folks, but hey, that's okay. Trump said, I've seen the lengths that they go to when they make up the Russia, Russia, Russia collusion, and that's exposed. These are sick people, he said. I think, and I can't help but agree, folks, they hate our country. On the indictments and how they might even send Trump's numbers ever higher, Trump said, I think the people of this country don't get enough credit for how smart they are. And we'll see whether or not that's true with whether or not they put up with the next round of masking idiocy and Zyklon B injections. Anyway, says Trump, but they get it. The people see it's a fraud. He also didn't pull his punches on the Biden Fuhrer. And of course, neither does your host. Said Trump, crooked Joe Biden is so bad, he's the worst president in the history of our country. I don't think he's going to make it to the gate, but you never know. I think he's worse mentally than he is physically, he continued, and he's not exactly a triathlete. And then he finished up by saying, he's both the most corrupt president we've ever had and the most incompetent. Okay, well, tell me something we don't know. But at least it's refreshing to hear somebody come right out and say what every single person sitting around their TV already knows. This is why faux news fired Tucker, and most Americans are sick and tired of the crap they're getting from the waste-stream media. And he went on to talk about his links to China as well, which everybody that's got half a brain has seen. I believe he's compromised, said Trump. The Chinese have so much on him. Well, so does everybody, folks, but the Chinese are the ones that are probably most threatening to him. And he added, in many ways, he's a Manchurian candidate. Which brings me to the part that I really wanted to just spend a minute or so on, because it really sets up the alternative and the story I'm going to do next. Who's pulling the strings, asked Tucker Carlson. Well, said the elected president, quote, we have a president that can't put two sentences together, can't speak, can't walk, can't talk. I don't think he gets to the starting gate, but these people do miracles. I mean, he ran out of his basement, he got away with it because of COVID, and they cheated on the election. And he continued, but they have people that are very smart, but they're fascists, and they're radical left lunatics, and they're destroying our country, unquote. And that, folks, is the real key here. That, I think, is the reason why this not debate outpolled the real one, because most of the whoring reprobates that put an R behind their name and try to convince people that this time the rhinos might actually do something don't even remotely understand this. The left, those that are pushing it, and that includes the rhinos, some of whom are running for president, claiming to be Republicans, are in fact deliberately destroying our country. More and more Americans have figured it out, and they're sick and tired of being lied to and having to pretend that they can't see it. Which leads to the sequence of questions that I think is really key. Like a sequence zero hedge labeled, fear of violence, question mark? Do you think, asked Tucker Carlson, that we're moving towards civil war? Do you think it's possible that there's open conflict? And then he followed up. Trump nods and responds, quote, there's a level of passion and love that I've never seen. And there's a level of hatred of what they've done to our country that I've never seen. And that's probably a bad combination, he said. And asked about the rigged election, he added, we got way more votes in 20 than in 2016. But the election was rigged. They used COVID to cheat in a lot of different ways. We have so much on it, he said, but we had judges that didn't want to look. But I have never seen a spirit like there is right now. And then he went on to note that we need to go back to all paper ballots and said there's only one reason they don't want voter ID. It's because they want to cheat. Okay, again, duh. But hey, folks, why not say it right out loud? 
And finally, Tucker asks, and it has to be asked, because really it's the bottom line to the entire interview. And by the way, don't have any illusions here. These are, in fact, softball questions. But the fact that they're softball questions doesn't mean it isn't refreshing to hear somebody actually come out and ask them. Because think about it. People have gotten so used to the Orwellian ministry of truth and the fact that, oh, there are certain things you're not allowed to ask, not even allowed to think about, that Americans really are, uh, I'll say it, PO'd about it. And it's about time, too. Tucker's question. Are you saying they stole it from you last time? Well, why wouldn't they do the same thing again this time? To which Trump replies, and this is a great quote and really is important. Think about it. Well, he said, they'll try. They're going to try, unquote. And I'm going to introduce the next story, also repeated on Zero Hedge, but it came originally via American Greatness and co-authors Paul Ingracia and Matthew Booz. Their headline, looking at the alternative, 150 million views and counting, Trump triumphant, it says, Ramaswamy runner-up, DeSantis dud. But to get there, we'll end the way Zero Hedge does in the other piece with a quote from CBS Fake News. And yeah, I put that word in there, you knew it. They're going to try to convince you that the only issue here has to do with, quote, Republican primary voters, a term they use several times in just a paragraph and a half. First, they say, as was the case with Trump's previous indictments, yeah, your host can't help but think, unlike the unindicted, and oh yeah, unelected real criminals, Republican primary voters and their overwhelming concern about the Georgia charges is that they're politically motivated. To which, come on, folks, all we can add is, duh, are you people really that stupid? Or do you just think those that are drinking the Kool-Aid you call news are? These Republican primary voters, they say, quote, dismiss the premise of the charges. <laughs> the bulk of them do think Trump tried to stay in office. Yeah, folks, because he was legitimately reelected. But to them... And uh, evidently, that means to them alone, says CBS News, because they don't believe it. They're not paid to believe it. It was legal and constitutional. Gee, do you think? Because these, quote, Republican primary voters overwhelmingly think president. Now, I'm not even going to read it. They think the Biden Fuhrer did not win legitimately. Huh? Yeah, come on. They probably also don't think masks will protect them from the booga-booga flu any more than a screen door on a submarine is a good idea. They just won't believe that big line, no matter how often we have to repeat it. Drum it into them. They probably also think that people dropping dead like flies has nothing to do with the Zyklon B injection. They really do. I'm not kidding. They really do believe you are stupid if you listen to them and take half of what they say without a huge grain of salt. But wait, see what I mean? Occasionally, even CBS News comes out with a whisper of the truth. Listen to this one. After posting some of the charts that have to do with what's going on and what's going on with Trump, Zero Hedge notes that Trump voters generally believe Trump is telling the truth. Duh. And that's in their text. Which is why the indictments aren't having an impact in the support among his base. Voters who said they place top importance on a candidate being honest and trustworthy pick Trump 61%, followed by DeSantis at only 17%. Now, here's what CBS News seems to say about it. <laughs> and, uh, and ponder the humorous irony in this one. Quote, the context here is that Republican primary voters believe the political system is corrupt. Huh? Can you believe it? Yeah. The political system is corrupt at an even higher rate than Americans overall do. That could mean perceiving Trump as railing against or 
persecuted by, uh, prosecuted by, they said, the system might well make them seem, from their perspective, like the ones telling the larger truth. I'm thinking that the Soviet population probably would have something to add to CBS's coverage here, just like they might have when it came to Pravda and Izvestia. I guess it's encouraging to ponder that eventually, folks, it took a while still, that system and big lie collapsed. Still, I certainly hope Americans can do it far better and a whole lot sooner. But time draws short. And that leads me to the other story here that I've introduced more than once at this point, which begins with a mantra, they note, from Steve Bannon and his acolytes. Focus on the signal, not the noise. And at this stage of the game, write Paul Ingrazia and Matthew Booz for American Greatness. It should be the mantra of the MAGA movement writ large. For the hours already late, there's a mountain of work left to do to haul President Trump, they say, over the finish line. And here they list some of them. Navigating a corrupt, weaponized, just-us system, dealing with rigged election procedures, combating both soft and overt censorship by waste-stream media networks and socialist media. All of that, they say, is just the tip of the iceberg. Which is why, given the enormity of the collective hole we've dug ourselves, the idea of a normal politics-as-usual primary season was simply ridiculous from the start. And on that score, folks, they nailed it. And that's why I'm going through this. The 2020 presidential election was undeniably, they write, the most unfair election in modern history. No, it was outright criminal and rigged. It necessarily, though, produced what we expected, an illegitimate outcome. The fact that Ron DeSantis, Mike Pence, Chris Christie, and the rest of the rhinos are behaving as if all of that doesn't matter, or that somehow the problems that got us in this dire situation as a country would just miraculously vanish if Trump were removed from the picture, is the ultimate indictment of their credentials and, I would say, of their criminality, their complicity. I'll say it again, folks, at the risk of being crude, because what these folks are is worse than crude. I have far more respect for an honest whore than I do people like this who sell out their country and intend to kill. Yeah, let's be honest about it. Intend to kill if by no other means they're in action and their attempt to distract people from what's being done to them while they're not looking. Millions upon millions of once free Americans. These people are truly reprobates. They're a bit like small-time crime lords who collect money on the streets for the likes of an Al Capone and rat out anybody who wants to rock their boat. The other candidates aren't serious contenders, say the authors, for the presidency for the simple purpose they don't seriously care about America's interest. If they realized the gravity of the crisis, they write, they would have immediately stepped aside and thrown whatever minuscule political capital they may harness on the 45th president, knowing that he alone has a shot at achieving the near insurmountable feat of winning, and I'll put it this way, of winning back a stolen presidency. In short, the primary process, say the authors here for American Greatness, personified above all by Ron DeSantis and his pitiful excuse for a campaign, is nothing but a colossal distraction and a time waster from where our focus needs to be. Now, here, folks, obviously I'm going to disagree a bit, but I'll at least leave the authors their due because they're going to point to the polling numbers and say somehow that's at least part of the equation. So uh, here we go. Because they say poll after poll has Trump with leads of 30, maybe 40, or many times 50-plus points above his nearest competitor. And even in primary states that are most competitive, like Iowa, Trump's lead is well over 20 points, and it marks the largest such lead for that state's Republican caucus in over two decades. Americans, they say, can viscerally intuit just how high the stakes are this time around, and they realize that for America, 2024 truly is the make-or-break moment. 
Now, I'm going to pause at this point and say, okay, that's a great introduction. It may be a bit over the top because the make-or-break moment, folks, may at this point be long past. Maybe a better question is, can anything be salvaged of a once-great republic? Regardless, though, the article at least goes in the right direction. The candidates who did appear on the debate stage, they continue, in Milwaukee last evening, presented an image of betrayal to the American people. The first debate was on Fox News, the network responsible for prematurely and recklessly calling Arizona for Biden in 2020, and they added a poetic touch to the general feeling of impotence surrounding the entire spectacle. Yep, they noted, and we've already done this. Trump highlighted the point by choosing to spend the evening with Tucker Carlson. His absence, they say, was keenly felt in the lack of energy, vigor, and vision on the stage. And Vivak Ramaswamy was, in fact, the only spark of actual life. In part because, among other things, he was also the only candidate on stage to defend Trump concerning the weaponization of justice, while those who were part and parcel of the problem dodged the question. Limp-wristed as any mention of it was anyway. DeSantis even refused to say whether or not Pence was correct in certifying Biden's bogus so-called victory. What a sellout. Meanwhile, says the piece, Pence and Scott took turns gushing with hokey optimism about an America that no longer exists. And among other things, thank you, Pence, for that. The authors go into detail here with some examples. I'm not going to bother. But they say the insincerity and fundamental lack of seriousness of the whole spectacle was overpowering. We've heard a lot, they say, about Trumpism after Trump, but the GOP without Trump looks a lot like the GOP before Trump, coming on the very same day that Rudy Giuliani had his mugshot taken, and just a day before Trump is expected to endure the same humiliation. No, folks, this one i got to correct. It's America itself and the rule of law that's being publicly humiliated before a whole world that's laughing at a banana republic gone bad with an arraignment for bogus charges that everybody knows are complete BS in Georgia, the debate couldn't have been more of an out-of-touch spectacle of irrelevance, and I'll add it, impotence. And honestly, I don't think there's anybody that's listening to this that can't see precisely why. Not one of those people has so much as a prayer, and I mean that explicitly, of actually winning an election that everybody knows is rigged already. And the fact that they're eliminating any opposition a priori is about all the proof you need of that. Are they going to rig it again? Absolutely. And Trump at least came out and said so. Can they? Well, nothing has changed. And I mean nothing has changed on the legal or maybe illegal front. Mail-in, dead voter, photocopy, ballot, electronically rigged, floating point, six ways to Sunday CIA cheating front is concerned. Not a single case has overturned a single bit of fraud. Not in Arizona, not in Pennsylvania, not in Michigan, not in you name it, folks. And the number of states that are rigged is expanding, not shrinking. Now, let's be clear here. Can Trump win the presidency by literally getting every single vote? No, it's not enough. Lenin, Mao, Stalin, all of the communists know this. It's not about who votes that matters. It's who counts the votes or, in fact, tells you what the count was, whether anybody even bothered to actually count them or not. And if you don't like it, they shut you up. And just like we've seen here and in other places throughout history, they send you to the gulag or they just execute you or all the above. So what's interesting about this? Why am I spending the time talking about it? I'm going to suggest it has nothing to do with an upcoming election. It has more to do with an election that's not really upcoming, but at least what may happen, and this is what I devoutly pray will happen, the truth may come out. The American people may actually wake up as opposed to being woke back to sleep again, and they may recognize just how corrupt, how beyond corrupt the whole system is, and that, yes, America is in fact deserving of judgment. Maybe we're seeing it play out. 
And I'm not jonesing for a revival, a return to another Jesus whom we've not preached, as anybody that's been reading the actual Bible knows isn't going to get it either. The question is whether people will return to the one true creator and his word or not, and whether or not enough of them will even realize how badly they've been duped to start thinking about looking in that direction. So, yeah. I have some optimism that Trump at least may at this point see how bad things have gotten. He had a chance to do more, no doubt about it. He failed. That's why we are where we are. If he had another chance, I don't know if he'll get it or not, but if he had another chance, would he do better? Well, maybe, but I'm not sure even that is the real point. I said it before, it bears repeating, the Savior does not come from the District of Criminals swamp, folks. Read scripture and see that it's a whole different direction. But Yah has, and indeed will again, use flawed people to achieve his intentions. To achieve what he has already said he's going to do in his word. So I'll put it this way. I see things like the confluence of events that we watched last night. And I recognize that more and more Americans are beginning to realize, A, something is horribly, viscerally wrong. And B, we've been lied to. Maybe we better start looking in a whole different direction for a solution than Big Brother itself. And the prince of this world who's been running this government and so many others for, uh, well, millennia at this point. All right, from there on we go to another story that I actually recorded on Wednesday. And as it turns out, I ran out of time, missed the deadline. And so this is how I would have started. It certainly bears repeating at this point. But at least now, in the context of what we've been talking about, hopefully the idea of dishonest weights and measures and the fact that people are waking up to that too may resonate even a bit more. And I'm going to kick off that story with a place where the U.S. dollar arguably might be ending, although we'll see on that score. It may take a while still. The BRICS summit in South Africa. And honestly, with the exception of Zero Hedge, there's not a whole lot of trustworthy media coverage of it out there at all. Their story, though, under the headline that de-dollarization is irreversible, says Vladimir Putin to the BRICS summit, emphasized that the Russian leader in a Russian-language speech claimed that the dollar's receding global centrality is, quote, an objective and irreversible process. And as expected, they note, he struck an optimistic tone about the bloc's future, meaning the BRICS nations, and that corresponded to the time when Xi Jinping of China is urging the BRICS to become a geopolitical rival to the G7. China Xi appeared in person at the BRICS summit, while Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov physically took Vladimir Putin's place because of the ICC arrest warrant that would require the communist South African government to seek his arrest if he showed up. So he spoke instead by video link. In the speech, Putin said that the five BRICS members, at least primary BRICS members, Russia, China, India, Brazil, and South Africa, are becoming the new economic leaders of the world, adding that their cumulative share of global GDP has now reached over one quarter at 26%. He noted further that if measured by purchasing power parity, the BRICS have already surpassed the group of sevens leading industrialized nations and now account for 31% of the global economy versus 30% and declining, it would seem, if America is in guide for the G7. Putin also took a swipe, and here's the real key, folks, at the U.S. and the West's international illegitimate sanctions, as he put it, which seriously weigh on the international economic situation, adding that the, quote, unlawful freezing of sovereign state assets, in a message sure to be graded positively among aspiring BRICS applicants, is a real and increasing problem. Quote, we're consistently increasing food, fuel, and fertilizer supplies to the states of the global south, he added, while also blaming international food shortages on those unlawful sanctions from the West. Much of the international press coverage of the BRICS summit focused on the fact that Xi skipped his scheduled speech, or so they said, at the business forum and showed up a little bit later. 
But the website for the Chinese foreign ministry said she believes this summit will, quote, be an important milestone in the history of the development of the BRICS mechanism and that it will strengthen cohesion and cooperation among developing countries to an even bigger level. And according to the Financial Times, in some respects, the British equivalent of the New York Times, especially when it comes to what socialists call economics, China will, quote, push the BRICS block of emerging markets to become a full-scale rival to the G7 this week, as leaders from across the developing world gather to debate the forum's biggest expansion in more than a decade. There is disagreement, they claim. FT cites diplomatic sources to say that a common currency is not on the agenda this time around. But there's no doubt about it. There is concern, especially among developing nations, about the weaponization of the fiat American dollar, especially the international SWIFT system, and lots of countries are increasingly looking for an alternative. South Africa's foreign minister, though, this month said it was, quote, extremely wrong to see a potential expansion of BRICS as an anti-Western move. However, says the Financial Times, Western capitals are likely to regard the possible additions of Iran, Belarus, and Venezuela as a move to embrace allies of Russia and China. I'm going to close today with two stories, both of which illustrate how uh, difficult it is to know what the truth is when AI and others deliberately craft a world of lies. First, from just north of Moscow, where Yevgeny Prigozhin, the head of the Russian mercenary outfit called the Wagner Group, was aboard a private jet that was downed. Uh, actually, it looked like it was either shot down or blown out of the sky by a bomb on board northwest of Moscow Wednesday evening. Wagner itself is now confirming the death of not only Yevgeny Prigozhin, but his second-in-command, Dmitry Utkin, as well, and evidently most of the entire top command of the Wagner Group. The bodies are said to have been identified, and that, honestly, folks, is about all we know. Because in the world of spy versus spy versus double agent spy, it really is tough to know what the heck is going on, and that's the intent. Was it a real mutiny a few months back? A double cross, a triple cross, or a double double cross? And who really... Was it the CIA and KVD or whatever the KGB is now being called or some other agency that uh, done the dirty deed here? Honestly, I think it's pretty clear who took out the Nord Stream 1 and 2 pipelines. Not so much here. All right, that leads me to another story that's not getting much coverage at all. And we're probably even less likely to hear the truth about what happened in Maui. Now, I saw this piece from Real Raw News. I have not confirmed it. And I do take it with a grain of salt, but it's really interesting says that there are reports that General Eric M. Smith at Camp Pendleton, the Marine Commandant, ordered Marines to Maui to investigate claims that the Hawaiian National Guard and FEMA, are you listening, were terrorizing disaster victims. The White Hats, and that's a term that you've heard before, arrived to witness unimaginable carnage and a catastrophic death toll. Said a witness, quote, we didn't really expect local law enforcement to fight alongside the feds and the National Guard. What Marines saw is nothing short of engineered genocide. Now, I'll admit, is it true? We still continue to see things that boggle the mind, but how many times are we going to have to get used to it? There really is a battle here, folks, and we're talking about a level of evil that most people simply cannot conceive is real. Unless you realize the Bible's already warned us. 